0: The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute.
1: Today's topic is, uh, as you see, is not a very appetizing. I hope it doesn't ruin your lunch. Um, doesn't go very well with lunch, but, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Shh, David, David. Sorry. Um, so okay this actually as we're going to discuss is a case that actually came up here in houston recently and that i was consulted on and it was all it was fascinating to me and new, and what was even more fascinating is there's very little in western law about it but what i found out in my research was halacha, the jewish law discusses it extensively very little um, um in american law actually discussing it so so basically there's there's two scenarios. The first scenario is a scenario that, has happened, that I've heard about years ago, I've discussed at conferences, and it's not so uncommon, which is um, Israeli soldiers, as we know as Jews, we're very into procreation, um, having kids, and uh, in Israel, um, in the IDF, many soldiers go to war, they're single, they're young, when they're joining the army, they're 18, um, and many of them actually give Um, before they get inducted into the army they actually go ahead and um, leave uh, semen samples in case something happens to them married, single, um, which is not in the the States it seems like it's uncommon but it's very common in Israel so a lot of obviously halachic issues came up legal issues there within the state of Israel and issues within Jewish law how that works so the case years ago I heard about a case where Soldier died, he was single. His girlfriend, who was somewhat religious, asked the rabbi, can she use um, his sperm sample with his permission? He wanted to become impregnated after post-mortem, after his death. But those cases were all cases where um, the sample was taken when the person was alive. Obviously he consented. He left the sample with (coughs) specific consent um, to be used in certain circumstances post um, posthumously after death okay the case that and that's case number one um, which which' well, actually not here the case I put down was widows asking after death to procure a semen sample and use it okay to, to have a child after um, after death the case here that actually took place in Houston that's scenario number two which I was consulted on this was uh, approximately four months ago, a, a young Israeli fellow was um, in a motorcycle accident. He was, uh, he was DOA, I mean, uh, he, he was cartwheeling, he was doing some stuff off-road and he hit his head. I don't know if he was wearing a helmet or not, irrelevant. Um, and uh, they took him to hospital, this is up north, I think it was in Spring, Texas. Um, so they consulted, uh, so the rabbi who was there, his congregational rabbi, called me and they asked me the question was them preventing an autopsy, and we got that squared out, and we'll talk about that a little. Hello, Ernala. Right. Come in. Got a seat? We got a seat it's for a you. Chair. Yeah. Squeeze in. We'll move back. We'll back. You good? Yeah, we we'll 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 got some fried chicken for you? so what do you want the healthy chicken so the the again the case was he died DOA in a motorcycle accident everything was going smooth we were planning the funeral and we get a phone call from his parents in Israel um, asking if we could they weren't here if we could again this guy was single um, if we can um, procure a semen sample that can be sent back to Israel for them to use for future use. This um, family had, had had already had a previous, uh, another death in the family. They had no grandchildren from what I understand. And uh, there they they, was another sibling, another single girl, but they wanted to have a grandchild in the future, make sure they have a grandchild. Wish of every, every uh, Jewish grandmother. Right, So the, and the question then became, should we get involved and what are, how do we get involved legally? There was legal issues, obviously. Um, there was no consent form from him. He was single. He did not leave anything um, stating that, uh, addressing that issue. Um, the parents, uh, do the parents even have legal rights to request that legally? And then, of course, alakically. okay? Um, so i had never uh, had this similar case before. Um, so the so the first thing is legally which i'm not i'm not an attorney just a a rabbi but uh, um, the first question was even just practically what we did was immediately i called a urologist friend of mine the question is even practically is it possible is a semen sample does it work um, after death? Can you procure a semen sample? How, do, how it's procured and is it even is it can it be even be used? And how long afterwards does does can the semen be used after death? Because at this by the time the parents were notified and they called us back um, asking for this request, they he was dead approximately he was deceased around four hours already. Um, and then it would be a question of obviously legal, getting papers and, and things like that. So I called a friend who's urologist. Um, he told me he doesn't know how long <laughs> semen is, how long it, it can stay in effect. The second question was how they retrieve it because um, as we'll see here, one of the major issues is, and as I mentioned before, there's a prohibition in, in Judaism what's called a nivul hamet number B here on the sheet, which is desecrating a dead body. In Jewish law, we don't even allow autopsies um, in Jewish law unless there's a need, let's say it's a question of saving life. For example, um, normally an autopsy would be prohibited in almost all cases in Jewish law. The only time we do allow an autopsy is in case of murder, let's say where we need to catch the murder. There's a murderer loose on the street, we need to prove his guilt, even if he's not loose, but we need to, let's say, prove that he did it so we need to know the cause of death for a court of law. In a case like that, where we need to—that's called pikuach nefesh. I mean, saving you can potentially save a life, which means get this murderer off the street. In that case, of course, pikuach nefesh, as we know from previous classes, saving a life overrides everything in Jewish law. So even though there's a, again there's a prohibition, a biblical prohibition of desecrating a dead body, as we'll discuss, it actually comes from next week's Torah portion, Parashat Shoftim in Deuteronomy. Um, the Torah says very clearly you have to, it's actually, fascinatingly enough, it's referring to an executed criminal. It says after he is executed, immediately you have to bury his body. I mean, even in a, a criminal who, uh, whatever he committed something that's capital crime, where we actually are executing that criminal, we still have to treat his his body with dignity after the execution, okay, which is an amazing thing. You see from the Torah that A a human being, no matter what crime he committed, is still treated with dignity. Um, That's what we see, again, it's next week's Torah portion. Um, I don't remember remember the chapter and verse offhand, but if you can look it up at the beginning of next week's Torah portion, it says very clearly that you have to remove the body and immediately bury the body that very same day after the execution. Um, So you see that the concept of treating a human body with dignity is, is a biblical precept. And the reason discussed there, it says that all human beings are, dis, are created in the image of God, okay? And therefore, it's sort of the, the analogy the, the Talmud gives is if, if uh, let's say, a king the king has an identical twin brother, okay? Let's not deal with our king, other countries' kings. Um, right? so he, he had an identical twin brother, and, and what, he's a criminal, he was executed, and he's hanging, his body's hanging, you know, public execution. Okay, so it would be embarrassment to the king for that body to be hanging, because he looks, he's identical to the king. Okay, so so too says says the Talmud, since we're all created in the image of God, every human being, so any human, I mean, any human being, no matter what, uh, even if they're a criminal, they have to be treated, their body has to be treated with dignity, okay, that's the concept. And therefore, it requires immediate burial and no desecration of the dead. So based on that, just an autopsy, for example, in the state of Texas, or in many states in our great country, where an autopsy is required by the law, just because uh, many times the, the, account, the medical examiner needs to keep busy, okay? So for example, anyone who dies in a private home under the age I believe of, I believe it's 55, 56 in the state of Texas, an autopsy is automatically required. That's even if it's clear it was a suicide, you know, or it's clear he died of natural causes, there was a nurse present, an autopsy is automatically required. So in Jewish law, that's prohibited. And We've had cases, I think we've discussed it here in the past um, with Judge Dorfman, who was here, where we fought a case, we fought the county, and we won um, on cases of autopsy, Fort Harris, Harris County um, to prevent autopsies on bodies when there's no need. But in a case when there's what we call pikoch nefesh, like we said, to save a life, that would either be, in most cases, either for the sake of, like we're saying, getting a criminal, a murderer off the street, finding the murderer, or if it would be, for example, let's say the person had a disease, which we're not sure of the origin of the disease, and other relatives of the same family have the same disease. So we need to find out what the cause of death was to prevent further death um, in the family. Okay, so in that case also, an autopsy would be allowed. But less anything less than that, an autopsy is usually not allowed based on this prohibition of desecration of the human body. So that's the first issue that, that came up here. Um, and therefore, it was important to know how they were gonna retrieve the, the semen sample. Was it by um, just removing tissue with the needle or a needle and a, what's it called, um, that it's called, a yeah, syringe. But, uh, the name to the procedure, or was it they actually would have to cut the person open to retrieve the samples? that would be play a big role here, as we'll see. Um, so, just, so let's before we get to the halachic issues, I'd like to just start with um, the American law. Um, and what's fascinating, like I said, what was fascinating to me was American law really had nothing to say about this. And um, there's no cases, even though it it seems to be becoming more common um, in this country, of post posthumous. Um, uh, using semen, semen samples, and retrieving semen samples, there's no law, and that's what I put down here at the bottom of page one. It says while post-mortem sperm con- procurement is being requested throughout the United States, no standard protocol or procedural guidelines have been established by federal state statute. Furthermore, the courts have not yet addressed this specific scenario in reported case law. A workable protocol, so, so it doesn't exist. There's almost no um, established law as of yet. Um, as far as uh, these scenarios that we discussed. Um, a workable protocol can be established by anal- analyzing case law and statutes, addressing factual similar scenarios. The urologist must focus on the express intent of the dis- descendant, uh, decedent and limit any postmortem sperm retrieval to the specific requests made by the dis- decedent. Okay, a uh, decedent request should be documented in writing so it's really, again, there's no protocol. This is a suggested protocol in an article written in a law journal that I found. Um, but there's, there's nothing, again, um, there's no official protocol. Decedent must be competent and of majority age. So this is their saying that the decedent must, should leave something before. Obviously something in writing that would be clear as to clear instructions. Um, in this case, that wasn't available, as I, as I mentioned. In the absence of the decedent expressed affirmative affirmative directive calling for sperm retrieval, no other relative or guardian guardian may authorize this retrieval. So they're saying um, parent would not be allowed, even a spouse it would seem like would not be allowed. Issues regarding the legitimacy and inheritance, inheritance rights of the conceptus will most consistently be addressed when explicitly provided for in the will of the decedent. So again, the other question as we're going to address is what happens if, this does go through, first of all, who really owns the sperm? If there is a retrieval, who owns that sample? And what happens in the future, um, who gets to decide, should it be used, how it should be used, et cetera. So these are all in question, questions which again, have not, be raised, have not been raised um, from the Western law perspective, um, but halacha deals with this extensively in Jewish law. So that's what we're going to discuss it from that perspective. Um, so, I can't give you any legal advice. Speak to your attorney if this is relevant.
2: I'm an attorney. Okay. But is it, it similar to um, organ donations?
1: So, maybe again, so if.
2: In a the certain sense, yes. The, the, so a lot of the
1: empowered. precedents we've discussed within a law from, might come from organ donation, but as far as. Uh, Yes, in organ donation also, it's clear and within Western law, within American law, that if the person did not agree to donate the organ, you wouldn't be allowed to do it. You well, the, wouldn't they, be allowed but, to, to, ta- ta- to, to take the organ.
2: I'm asking that, but can an, an executor or someone have authority over the, over the body? If, yes, so I'm in the American
1: unit. law, you can't take an organ out of the body, as far as I know, even if there's no, the decedent did not leave any express wish.
3: You put on your driver's
4: license. Right. Right,
0: I know you can do right. that, but, but I don't know if the family is the one that gets to decide, or if it goes straight to a hospital. You know, right. It's not. only I but think if the seat is left. Left, um, uh, you know, an incompetent. Left in left left living will that somebody else should. Uh,
1: yeah, make those decisions. Make that could be yes. Decisions. So there's a living, If the person left the will saying this person is the house power attorney to decide, right. So that would be the same, but less less than that. Wouldn't work. In this case, like I was saying, there is no there isn't there was no instruction in the case in, that in, we would deal
4: with in American law uh, if somebody dies without an advance directive or without checking the box on the driver's license, next of kin, whoever the surrogate decision maker is, can give permission for donation. Really? They do it all the time. I mean, most the time most 18 year olds that have a motorcycle accident have, have not uh, have, uh, made have provision for, for right. what's going right. to happen. It doesn't happen, mean after that they uh, die. You know, but you're they, saying the, but the, they do donations from them all the time. The family does it.
1: Even if for yeah. an adult and there's no express, if there's a, that they have. That's amazing.
2: That okay. same person could okay. also authorize, potentially, the nation of the but The um, difference
1: here is that here you're creating a new life, which yeah, it's so going to be a different, well, no, there's a big the difference.
2: Heart, the heart, you're maintaining a Yeah, I mean, it's,
1: it's different, like, but it's yeah. not your offspring. This here you're enough. creating an offspring, the, it's much bigger. Know it's you know, and, 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 the and the there's inheritance all, issues, it becomes inheritance issues, I, as we we'll see.
4: I don't know that. I haven't seen anything on that, but when I was involved in transplantation, which I was very heavily involved in, uh, most of the donors did not have uh, pre-planning. Was that in Bentab
1: or Hmm? Bentab? (laughs) All All over over the country. country. I mean, By the way, Ed is a MDJD. So uh, so we have two MDJDs here, Hmm. I think only two. Anyone else? Neither. Yeah, okay. Um, so, okay, so again. One who's
4: untainted.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, so, again, so again, so in this case, just to make it more complicated, um, even even like you're saying next of kin, the parents were in Israel, obviously it becomes international issues, they wanted us to ship the sample to them becomes a whole different question when I so what happened was when I called so I then um, this other urologist put me in touch with the head of I think it was fertility or I'm trying to remember what department in, at Baylor um, and he explained to me that the semen sample is good for an old, a number of hours after death. How long? Yeah, 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 I'm Trying to remember the, the time. I don't want to the say whole the right time. time. The one thing I've been thinking about. Okay. How long is it? Yeah. See, he said a, g- a good amount of time. It's a good so for good, good late six late to late eight late hours, late. ten hours. You can still retrieve a you good, have good to sample. Right, away. Oh, to right. A yes, Yeah. Sure. Now, now, what's interesting is first of all they got. So what happened was this: this doctor got all excited when I when this other urologist mm-hmm. called him. They were very excited. He said because mm-hmm. the the hospital that the body was in, spring said they can't do it. They don't have the ability to do it. So this, this guy from Baylor, head of, I think it was head of fertility urology, I don't remember, to look it up. Um, at the time, he said, he was very excited. They said he'll get a team out there right away. <laughs> First he said, but they need written permission from the parents. Do, they, do we have power of attorney for the parents? Parents really didn't speak English. Um, <laughs> the Rabbit was talking to them, they didn't, and also obviously they were dealing with this tragedy, this sudden tragedy. Um, We did not get power of attorney for them, but the team went out there anyway. They were ready to go. So uh, um, they were very excited. I think this was their first case where they actually were able to do this. Um, They came up, so they were very excited about it. To make things a little more more complicated, just to throw in a few other things, a few other factors is the person um, was married for legal purposes, meaning he had a green card for gr- purposes of a green card, he's Israeli. So he had a a, a woman in New York that he was and one I th- legally married to. But I don't think they really had much to do with each other, at least that's what we thought at the time. She so, was in New uh, York? No, in New York, New York. he was in New point. York. Yeah, another Israeli woman. But I think they were just, for the purpose of a green card, they were technically married. And what we found out afterwards um was that he and he had a current girlfriend also not married okay and i don't think these two women knew about each other because when they both showed up it wasn't wow. pleasant okay. so it was, it was a little complicated okay
4: that's usual so what did you pets. tell him
1: well, you he was dead we didn't tell him with what did you tell him the parent
2: Consulted with you. You said rabbinically. Yeah. So, so
1: I had no idea what to say. So I said, give me some time. So Rabbis, it's good to know when rabbis don't know anything. So we just call another rabbi. You know, it's like (laughs) the supreme court. We just go on, you know, step up. So the problem is you have to know, like which rabbi dealt with this. I mean, this is not a very common. It's not a question of is the chicken kosher. You know what I mean? It's a little more complicated. So, and this was, and also we need to know. We had to know an answer right away. So I, the first, so I called uh, the one I could think of, I, There was there's someone who's known as the head of the Chaver Kaddisha in New York who I had met a few times. Um, the Chaver Kaddisha is the burial society and I figured he's a big rabbi, he would know maybe this case came up in the past. So I called him and he said, wow, he's never heard this one before. Okay, so he was stuck also. Um, so, 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 so again, let me just, I'm going to go through some of the issues first, and then we'll discuss how we resolve you them.
2: You think about taking the, moving the, the sperm, keeping it frozen, at least... No, but the problem is even the in the
1: retrieval. If we're saying it's a problem desecrating the body, so then even retrieving the sperm oh, no. could be a problem, <laughs> according to Jewish law, So That was step number one. Can we even allow the retrieval of the sperm? Okay, because like we're saying, that that's, that's what I put it here. There's a few, uh, let's go through them one by one, but... I'll go I'll read the issues. the first thing is issues relevant here now we'll go back and, and go through them so the first thing is that like I mentioned before there's, there's not only there's an issue there next week's parsha, next week's Torah portion discusses again there's in Jewish law we bury immediately even delaying a burial is considered a a, uh, a sort of a desecration of the body so you want to bury the body as soon as possible um, again, we make allowances in normal cases. We allowances for a funeral is obviously, first of all, you want to give time for the parent, family to prepare, to allow other people, to, relatives to fly in from other places. That's the only reason we delay a funeral. But as In Jewish law, funeral should be done as quickly and burial should be done as quickly as possible. We don't believe in awake and leaving the body you know, for a week and things like that. Um, we don't display the body in traditional Jewish law. So, so that was question number one, delaying the burial. In this case, technically, the team was ready to do it um, without delay. Um, the body was gonna be flown back to Israel for burial. In either case, the um, funeral wasn't gonna be done here in this particular case. Okay, so, so the second question, as we mentioned, is desecrating the body. So is retrieving a sperm sample desecration of the body, as we mentioned, because normally, as we said, even an autopsy is prohibited, any cutting open of the body. That was question number two. Um, question number three is there's a prohibition based on the first two, which is benefiting from the dead. It's a prohibition to benefit from the deceased in any which way. Um, so that's, that, that would be, is this considered a benefit? Using a sperm for future use, um, because the parents want to have a grandchild, is that considered benefit? How do we view that? Okay, and, th- and then we get into ownership issues. Um, which is the same in, in American law and Western law, which is the issues of who really owns the body, who owns the sperm. And if you say at this point, does this, the dead person on the body, he didn't give permission he had to do the next of kin on the body, um, who really owns the body? And then once the sperm sample is, is retrieved, if we allow that, who owns that sample for future use? Does the legal wife, the green card wife get to decide? Does the parents get to decide? Does the girlfriend get to decide? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a lot of right. issues here, obviously, yeah. as far as oh, yeah. ownership is concerned. Do you solve
2: it and divide it out? <laughs> the same? It's very hard to divide sperm. You. You have a sperm. It's very hard to divide a sperm you? The
1: No, The rab. No, the parents contacted the rabbi. Actually, originally the rabbi contacted the oh, parents rabbi. to let them know. Rabbi is Rabbi Yacobian. Um, and he contacted me. He uh, he contacted <coughs> me to try to figure it out. He knew I deal with medical ethics, so he called me from the hospital, um, what to do, because he obviously has never dealt with this either. Okay, and the, the what gets even more interesting is in Jewish law, as we know, procreation is a very important mitzvah. It's the first mitzvah of the Torah. Um, this procreation is having children. Okay, it's the number one mitzvah. Um, so the question here is, can you fulfill the mitzvah posthumously? So this guy never had children, he's single.
3: What does single. the Torah say about it? Like is it specific um, about procreation that has to happen between like a married couple? Oh, so
1: that's, a question. that's a good question. Question number one. Question number two is, um, can you fulfill the mitzvah if the person's dead? Can you fulfill any mitzvah if you're dead? Right,
2: right. Um, it's not only the person, got, it's, a, it's the spouse. Oh, so that's it's another more. question. Is the
1: spouse, uh, we'll spouse. talk about that. Mm. Who's the obligation to procreation? Is it on the male, on the female? Obviously you need two mm. to oh. tango, but, but, we'll, uh, but mm-hmm. we'll talk about that too. Okay, so, so these are all fascinating Sorry, questions. We might need a couple of days to figure it all out, but uh, we'll try to get you out of here by 1 p.m. <laughs> um, so, and then of course, if, if we do allow the sample to be taken and then uh, let's say 10 years later a, someone gets impregnated with the sample can you is that a, is that a fulfillment of the myths of procreation but sec- lastly what about paternity um who's the dad Do we, who's the daddy you know those signs in 610 who's the daddy never seen those signs um you can try right. so the question would be how does paternity work in this case the guy's dead. he's in the grave for 10 years is he could still consider the father? Can you become a father posthumously? Again, so similar questions. And then, last but not least, we'll leave for the end to something called a leverite marriage. That means um, there's something called Yibam within in the Torah. In the Torah is a fascinating mitzvah, which is that if a man, if a couple dies childless, the younger brother is supposed to perpetuate the memory of his brother by marrying his sister-in-law. His, his. Is uh, sister-in-law, sister-in-law meaning sister-in-law the the one his brother who died? So if the older brother dies without childless. Um, there's a mitzvah the Torah discusses to perpetuate the memory of the brother. The next brother um, marries. It's 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 by choice meaning it's not a forced marriage. Obviously they both have a right to, to to say no.
0: Is this the same as if a younger brother dies and an older brother? Ah, uh, marriage.
1: It, it, I don't know if it's an obligatory in that case, but in the case of the technically the mitzvah in the case of an older brother and then the younger brother marries a sister-in-law. Again, there's a there is something said, There's a process. If he doesn't want to do it or if she doesn't want to marry him, of course they they don't have to do it, and there's a way out. Um, the question would be here: Let's say he died childless, assuming he was married. Okay, let's in this case he, technically, I mean legally he was, as we said, but technically he wasn't, or technically he was, however you want to look at it luckily i don't know if he was married um so the question would be let's say five years later they use his you know, someone gets impregnated with this child is that a fulfilled meaning is he considered that he died childless or do we say since there has the potential to he left a semen sample we have or we procured a semen sample now in the future um does do they have to do yibum or halitza or not do they have to perform this level on right marriage fascinating questions i don't know if we'll get to all of them Let's start from the top. Let's take it from the top. I mean, so, um, sure.
3: My question was um, about the Torah's view on procreation. I'm not positive about it. Does the Torah say? You had a kid, um, right?
1: You just had a baby, right? So, yeah, and I had a baby. Mean, yeah. um, <laughs> I'm not done with it. But um, I wasn't. Okay. I chose
3: to have a child, and I wasn't married, but I was just ready to become a mother. Okay, anyway, so
1: we got there. Well, um, was does the Torah say? I know the Bible is like saying it's for yeah. you know a, a married couple. What's
2: right. the Torah's viewpoint on that? So, so we're gonna get there. It's on the list. I think okay, I'll try bottom. to get. Yeah, you start at the bottom of the story because I'm not sure the bottom ones are interesting. I'm not sure we're gonna have time to get to
1: that. Okay, okay so let's so let's deal with that uh, with that question. Okay, so yeah, we'll deal heard, with your question. You yes. your question. Yes, we'll we'll start with that one just because you brought it up and I want to make sure we get That's in. Yes, okay, so so you so you might not like the answer, but I offend people all the time. So if you're offended, please don't leave. Um, okay, so the the no one's eating Stop it that bad. Uh, please don't change it. Okay. So um so as far as is a fascinating thing, number one is um the Torah, it's the first mitzvah as we know it's one of the most important mitzvahs. Is procreation in the Torah? Now, this might sound a little sexist, but the Torah seems to imply there's actually two places the Torah mentions in Genesis. The first mitzvah, one is it to Adam and Eve. The Torah says, God says to Adam, procreate and be fruitful and multiply. Okay, that's the in the first that's the first commandment in the Torah. Okay, to Adam, and then again it's repeated to Noah after the flood. God, again, says the same words, be fruitful and multiply um, uh, and to have children. Remember, Rudinsky always used to say, someone was dating, he would tell them, uh, go to Peru. Peru is the word, the Hebrew word for fruitful and multiply. Peru or vu? So he would say, go find the girl and go Peru. Go to Peru. Remember? That? <laughs> okay. So... Um, so, uh, but the point is like this, so, so there's one technical difficulty. Shatora is, um, all, seems to imply the mitzvah is for the male. Okay, the obligation to procreate is for the male. Now again, as we said before, usually, in most cases, you need two people to tango. So clearly, you need a female involved. Um, so far, science might change that in the future. But As of now, we still need a female. Um, the males are becoming more obsolete, they need less and less males, but, uh, the, but the point is that, so, the, so now you have a problem here, the mitzvah is specifically to the male, and there's a lot of discussion as to why that is, it's not that it's sexist, on the contrary, many, the, one of the reasons, there are a few reasons given, as to why the mitzvah is only on the male, again when we say mitzvah, it don't mean it's a good deed, mitzvah means obligatory, mm-hmm. it means it's an obligatory for a male to have children, for a female it's up to them, they have a choice, Okay, very feminist thinking. Um, for the male, there's no choice. you got to have a kid. As a matter of fact, you got to have at least two. We, the rule yeah. is, yeah, you got to have one male, one female, okay, to fulfill the mitzvah. What if okay. you have two females? got to keep on going, baby. What? Okay, there's one opinion that says you need two males, one female. But We rule one female, one male is good. Good to go. Okay, now there's always, of course, there's another mitzvah we'll talk about. That's not biblical, which is extra credit. Even after you have your, prere- your requisite, not prerequisite, your requisite male and female, um, you get a lot. there's still extra credit. You keep on going. It's always extra credit. Okay, so that's a, you're still fulfilling a mitzvah. It's a more. It's a question rabbinical. It's called the to populate the world. We like populating the world. We don't believe in population control. The more kids, the merrier. For
3: male, it's supposed
1: to be in the Torah with the Jewish female. The mitzvah, yes, of course. It only counts. Yeah, if it yeah. yeah, of course. That's for sure. Because um, we what want the kids to be Jewish. Jewish so then, you know, he's just having trouble. fun. That has nothing to do with the mitzvah. You don't get credit for that. <laughs> 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 okay. Um, so but so again, the, the, the mitzvah is to, to populate the world. Okay. So now that's, again, the extra credit. The requisite amount is male and female. One male, one female. Um, now, the reason given, just quickly, why as to why the female has no obligation, one is, simple answer is, um, it's just naturally males are afraid of commitment, as we know. So males just, you know, they want to have fun. So the males need the obligation. The females have a, pater- a maternal instinct and the assumption is they're going to want to have children no matter what. They don't need the commandment. That's one answer I saw. Another explanation um, is, that God will never command a mitzvah that someone would have to go through pain to perform that mitzvah. And since, as we know, childbirth is painful, actually we don't know, as males, we can never really um, understand it fully, as I, I we can't even make believe we understand it because that would be, that's bad to, even if you try to think you understand it, you'll never understand it. I once had, a, I think I said the story here before, I'm not gonna waste your time quickly. I once was, when I was dating, my older, younger days. So I went to, on a date, I was taking this girl, went to a museum of natural history somewhere and they had this this vest you try on for the male to feel like what it's like to be pregnant. So it's like this vest and it puts like dead weight, a lot of dead weight in the front and you put you in a recliner and you have to try getting up from the recliner recliner, (coughs) with this vest on. I did it. And I, you know, we went on a date. I did it, and I get up on the car and I said, "Yeah, that's not so bad. That's not, not so bad." And like, oh my gosh, like six women almost like punched me out on the, guy on the spot. Around, You'll understand? You'll never understand. You may never. the girl dropped me on the spot. Of, was it <laughs> So you have to be very careful. Uh, you know, and, and even make you believe you understand. You will never understand. So, but the point is, so so. Um, Pregnancy and labor is is tough, okay, and it's not it's painful and therefore God cannot command a, a someone to perform a mitzvah where they have to undergo pain for the mitzvah, okay. Circumcision is a whole different story. That's when you're eight days old. I won't go there. But the point is that that uh, so therefore females couldn't be commanded since since uh, pregnancy and labor is painful and and even dangerous in a certain extent. So Therefore God can can. can there are other answers. We're not going to, but not so relevant. So we're not going to. We'll, but feels really good. Yeah, compared to Labour. Um, okay. So, um, but the point is, so getting back to the to the question is um, here. So, so the question really is very important here, and it's very relevant to the other questions. Um, Erica, yes. so Erica's question. So just to address it is, so you can now. A, a male as long as even if it's not in the context of marriage technically um, As long as we know the problem is meaning if if you if we just uh, go to a bank and we don't know who the father is so as far as the father's concerned clearly he He can't fulfill his obligation of having a child because the offspring has to be related to you meaning of course it's related uh, Biologically, but we have to know the offspring exists. So if you just the guy just donates sperm into a bank um and he had 30 kids you know in some sperm bank somewhere you know which people tend to go to in college you know you get I think you get 25 bucks my days used to get for donating uh, sperm samples of people you, they only allow you to serve them so people there are people out there who have like 30 40 kids they don't even know about it so in that case technically you haven't fulfilled your commandment because there has to be after they have to do what's called yichus. there has to be the genealogical relation. It's not just sufficient to have a biological relationship. It has to be the genealogical relation. Um, so as far as the husband is concerned, in this case, we're saying we know this permit. he's going to're going to keep it on file and technically his girlfriend in the future or is, is, could be his widow in, in certain scenarios. So in that case, then it becomes, is that considered is he still considered the father? Um, so as far as the father's concerned, yes. Technically, he'd be the father. The question is, as far as fulfilling a mitzvah, that's a whole different question because can you fulfill any mitzvah posthumously? We tend to believe, and this is good to know, uh, we discussed this on the high holidays. It's good to know this once a person's no longer alive, that's it. You can't score any more brownie points, so to speak. I um, mean, you really can't perform any more mitzvahs. So, this mitzvah shouldn't be really any different. I can't perform a mitzvah after I'm dead. Right. There's an obligation to perform good deeds when you're alive, and that's when you, you can build your future, so to speak. But once you're dead, technically speaking, you can't really perform a mitzvah. I mean, the
2: question is, would you consider it a mitzvah to, to write this into your will to allow this to happen? Would that be a mitzvah? Right. So so I again, it's an interesting question. point.
1: Meaning, are you performing a mitzvah? Meaning, let's say I leave my will. Actually, someone called me last night. They're, they want to put me as the officiator They're leaving 20% to charity after they die. And they want me to be the whatever it's called you pick you're, the money Yeah, yeah. yeah. money here yeah. Yes, we so he, so. <laughs> he's he's only like forty. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. uh, so so you got <laughs> okay. so the So this. so the point is so k- listen, yeah, he's okay. obviously scoring wherever he is in his eternal life. Mean, he's getting brownie points for it. But is that really, is he getting a mitzvah? Yeah, because he's after did it while his he death. Right. right. Exactly. So in that case, maybe you can yeah. say yes. But here, but I'm saying the action, that's the question here, is, is the action taking place at posthumously. I'm not sure that would be called fulfillment of the mitzvah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But before, no,
2: before. Just like your example, the guy says, I'm going to donate 20% of my money to charity. Right. The moment, but the moment he made that it's irrevocable, I think that's a mitzvah. That's so think. there's a certain thing. Listen, the truth thing. is, it's a fascinating oh.
1: thing, because the, the in, Kabbalistically it's discussed that what is, like what do we say Kaddish and giving charity and why we do things, let's say, on the yard side of a deceased person, on his day of his, the anniversary of his death, we do things for his memory. How does that work? We study Mishnahs, whatever it is. The way it works is, since you're his offspring, he created you. or that's, So therefore, whatever happens in the future in this world, that he caused to happen, technically he's giving him bratty points. Okay, so that is true, and that's helping his soul in the future, but as far as a technical fulfillment of this myth of procreation, while I was alive, I didn't procreate. It didn't, there was no children born. I didn't have offspring while I was alive. So I'm not sure that's a fulfillment. That's what I'm saying. That's uh, really.
4: If, If you're the executor of the charity donations you can't <laughs> d- direct any of those donations to an <laughs> organization that's yours, I. Right,
1: I That's the problem. That's yeah. what I was trying to get out. I was trying to get someone mm-hmm. else to, to, you know, I'll just Give be a a specifically put something yeah. to your organization. I got to work on it, work on it. We'll speak after him. First. Yeah, okay. the first <laughs> so Help me on. Yeah. There's
0: another view that Halacha doesn't seem to, um, Present. What about the child? Let's say this uh, the sperm is sent to um, Israel and the grandparents, you know, or the parents of the son Decide they're gonna hire a woman to get pregnant Mm -hmm. and then they take care of the kid and bring the kid up Then they die when the kid is not, you know, they die when the kid is eight nine ten years old You brought an orphan into the world is that fair to the child? That's a
3: good question. Yeah, it's a, a social question. And the sister wasn't married and she didn't have kids. So they could, well, if it was up, if she chose to, they could say once they pass away, then mm-hmm. she will be in charge. Yeah, it's, a great, it's a valid point. Listen,
1: knapped. the question is, it's, uh, but that's more of a social question. Um, meaning, how do we view that in that in general society? Listen, even if two parents are alive, and there are mm-hmm. they're, many times kids there, couples having Children well, are 50 today, the age, so awesome. really, yeah, right. So the question, that's 80, a social, more of a, a social question than a legal, and a lachid uh, question. It's a question socially, should we promote mm-hmm. um, things like this, yeah, and and that's, what and that's the a different opposite,
2: question. About the woman freezing her eggs, or? Yeah, yeah it's so sure. all those questions. Why this the Lord yeah. to talk about the one? Can you get an egg out of a woman well, that she does? The Torah does. Can you? Like, you just said you can't? What, it again? I'll be the right time of the month. You have to get really lucky. So the guy, if I got it right, six to eight hours seems like it's almost impossible the way I view it. But what woman, happened
1: there? It worked there.
2: So it worked. It didn't happen. No, we got
1: there. we got get there. We'll get there. So I want to give the punchline. away. Sorry, the woman.
2: So get a woman? Could would anybody ever go out try to get a woman get an egg out of a woman if she passed
1: away? I um I don't know. I'm not aware of such case, but I'm right. assuming. Yeah. It, I'm not an
2: expert. But I think yeah. if she's not ovulating. You have all. You obviously have all the eggs in there, but they're not mature, yeah, and they're not, extract, not ready. Yeah. yeah, they couldn't
1: extract. They, they do extract them. extract yeah. eggs, but, and no, they do do a do pre- in That
0: that when a woman is killed and she's you know like pregnant, then the, the baby will uh, yeah, some, but that's removing the know, fetus. Is viable, yeah. they remove right. the fetus and the is yeah, alive. that's that's
1: not the same as moving eggs. Yeah. but I so I don't know enough about that, and I don't, I, don't I, I dealt with this with males. So so far, <laughs> oh, maybe the next class we'll go <laughs> we'll do females, but, but I don't see the difference per se.
4: I'd like to weigh in just a, a little yeah. bit more on on American mm-hmm. jurisprudence, and, yes, please. and I, I think I'm please. right on this. Your thinking, you're right, is enough for me. The American law views a corpse as pseudo property, and as pseudo property, there's a chain of custody or a chain of, of deed, if you will. And that goes through the lines of, of succession, next of kin, whoever that is. And I, I think it's clear under American law that if someone is legally married, whether they have you know 18 girlfriends or, or no girlfriends, the wife is the next of kin. You may not like that wife, but you didn't divorce you're legally in this case. Legally, the wife is the next of kin. Mm-hmm. She would number one be the one that would have to consent, and number two, she would be the owner of anything from example. that from that body, unless the state took it over. The state has certain rights, as mm-hmm. you know about autopsies, uh, to have the body as cheat to the state. Mm-hmm. But short of the government saying we want that body and we're taking possession of it uh, through escheatment, the clearly it would go through the kinship uh, of inheritance, and it would be up to her. She would own the sperm. She could sell it to the grandparents. She could deed it and give it to the grandparents, or she could keep it for herself and sell it to the sperm bank and get 30 mothers to buy it. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think that it's unlikely in in a case like this that the state is gonna say, oh, we're gonna start prosecuting people that suck a needle in this guy's testicle. But they could.
1: I, well, thank God I wasn't, I wasn't involved in that I mean the practical part. But, but but I
4: do think that, that the ownership and the line of custody is very clear under American jurisprudence whether you can actually give consent to to get sperm. I think that might be a closer question, but clearly okay. if it's going to occur. So I can tell you in this case it didn't kid. happen.
1: There was no consent. They didn't have any written consent of anyone. But they were so excited, the bail team that they, I, I mean, they were I, there. I
4: understand they all did. that. And, and, you know, they asked you, for consent. You get, away, didn't get it. Yeah. You, you get away with almost anything. If you actually ask for consent and don't get it, you're really on very thin ice. Well, the
1: parents were ready to give it. I don't think we the actually parents, got them the papers before but the they did. The parents don't, don't oh, have, you say they might any have the right, right. to give I, I consent. You. I got you. Okay. So let me so let me just finish the halachi. So just so again, Erica, did I I'll answer leave, your question? I'll leave how. As how far how as do you yeah, there's one very important thing which I didn't it, mention.
3: But not my, I, I was wondering if as the mother. Okay, um, so let
1: me explain. So so actually, the this very important point that Erica brought up is the sense of, since the biblical prohibition again not prohibition biblical obligation procreation is on the, on the dead. Now there is and this is very relevant here, as we'll see, for consent purposes. Um, but the, the second part we mentioned, the extra credit mitzvah, mm-hmm. which is just, there's a mitzvah, what's called the Yitzhar, that there's an extra credit to populate the world. That's even for females. That's not okay. only for males. And they're Jewish, okay. they're Jewish anyway. Right, yeah. so that's, and that's what would be relevant here, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll explain why. Because going back to um, the question here, as far as... Trying to oh so so as far as let's address C for a second. Um, we, which C the issue was prohibition of benefiting from the dead. So there's there's um there's a concept called um. I'll put it down here, the second one on the page, and in C C, second dot mitzvah l'av lehenot nid It means we, when we, when in the performance of a mitzvah we don't view it as you're doing as a benefit because when you do a mitzvah you're doing it for God. A commandment, you're not doing it for your own benefit. There might be side benefits. Yes, you're having a child. Some might view that as a benefit. Some might not. Um, that's a matter of debate. But, but the point is that, but you're you're officially when you're doing any commandment, you're doing it for the for the supposed the, the ideal purpose, is you're doing it for idealistic reasons, not for your own benefit. And therefore, we don't view, um, having, procreating or having children in this case, having, um, let's say, pregnating a woman or moving the semen. A sample here for the purpose of procreation of future mm-hmm. offspring as a benefit according okay. to that. But that's only it would be a mitzvah because he's dead. Again, he mm-hmm. has no obligation anymore. So it would only be if you say the female, in this case, let's say the technical um, wife, the legal wife, um, the green card wife in this case, she has, still has to perform a mitzvah by becoming impregnated with the semen. And therefore that's not called benefiting. But if you say the female has no obligation, then technically it would be be a problem of benefiting from a dead body because you're taking the semen.
3: In this situation, did the parents want her to be the one impregnated? That's a good question. I'm not even
1: sure they knew she existed. Oh
4: wow! I don't know. Which one? (laughs) one? (laughs) The girlfriend or the wife? Either.
1: Either. I don't know if they knew either Uh, Not either one. He was living in the states. I mean, I don't know what his relationship with his parents were. They would just—they just want to have grandkids. I don't think they cared. I don't know yeah, how wow. they were going to. I don't know if they have even thought how what they're going to do with mm-hmm. the and who they're thinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I don't know if they ever met others. the yeah, either the knows. girlfriend or the wow. the green card so wife. I don't realize know.
4: Realize you have a storyboard for a reality, <laughs> reality TV show.
1: Wow. <laughs> uh, wow. so uh, I'm not sure I want to do this as a rabbi. I don't know. If I, I <laughs> enough money. Actually, be a donation, baby. be very um, interesting. This is a
2: show. Yeah.
1: Um, okay, so so the, the issue becomes, okay, so that's, that's as far as that. So I hope I addressed it enough. We're gonna go now. So just once we're on C, so the, there's, there is, I did find somebody before that discussing transplant, as you mentioned. The, a lot of the precedents for this would be other cases of transplant. So someone does address, I found that, he talks about cor- corneal, normally, by the way, the reason why we're allowed to take a heart in Jewish Judaism is a myth. People say you're not supposed to donate organs, on the contrary. If you can save a life by donating organs, it's it's obligatory. The only time it becomes an issue, and I don't wanna get too sidetracked here, we only have five minutes left, is if the person's naturally dead and there's debate within Jewish law, what's considered dead? Is cessation of, is brain dead considered dead halachically or do you need cessation of cardiac function, complete cardiac function to be considered Halachically dead, Jewish according to Jewish law. So the problem becomes if you say if you need complete cessation of cardiac function, it's very it's very hard to donate your organs because in many cases um, the organs are not they don't stay for that long. Here the semen stays for longer. So I did find so therefore if you can save a life by donating your organ, you should donate your organ. Um, again, if you're halachically dead, okay. So so just the the issue is becomes. Putting, just putting down something on your license, um, you have to make sure they're not taking the organs today. There's, the medical community is so desperate for organs, many times they're taking the organs out when you're quote unquote halachically still alive, and that's a problem. We're not gonna go there, that's a different class, I think we once did it here, maybe yes, maybe not. The point being is, so there is, by the way, just if anyone's interested, if I have it on me, but there is a, there's an organization called HOD, they're called Halachic Organ Donation Society, I am a card carrying member if I have it on me. See if I can find it. I'm able to find that. It's on no, the if back. You get a Cans- the box, automatically <laughs> Too many credit cards. <laughs> <You can't laughs> <finalize a lot>. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I don't drive a motorcycle. That's why I don't drive a motorcycle. So this is, when anyone wants to look at it, this is a fascinating organization. You can go up to sign a line, and then what's fascinating is you check off in the back cessation of cardiac function or cessation of brain, of brain function. And then you put down your rabbi's number in the back. So, and always put down two rabbis, because as we know, rabbis are very hard to reach, in the middle of the night especially. Um, so put down it's two obvious. rabbis' numbers in the back, and you want this rabbi, to them to call this rabbi to make all the decisions prior to any, removing of any organs. So It's a great organization, you can look them up online. Um, so the, the point is that, I forgot where I was going with this, Oh, so 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 the bottom line is so so to save a life there's no question you can donate an organ what about something like a cornea if I donate a cornea I'm not saving a life so there is a one one opinion says eyesight if someone's blind it's as if they're dead so it's like saving a life whatever it is yeah. but but the point is that they found the, a response that says that taking a cornea transplant is not considered benefiting from the dead again because since the tissue is live when you take it out and it's gonna continue to live in someone else's body, as someone mentioned before. So then you're not, that's not considered benefiting from the dead. This part of his body stays alive, okay? It's gonna continue to stay alive in someone else's body. So the same thing, you can make the same argument here with the semen. Take the semen out, it's alive, you freeze it, and it's gonna continue to be alive if they use it in the future. Okay, so the same thing, that's also not called um, a desecration of the body. Um, similarly one can argue um, like I said delaying the burial because it's going to continue to stay alive this part of his body in the case of they're discussing the cornea or in the case of semen a semen sample it's going to free stay in the freezer continue to stay alive I actually have a friend um, who, who had cancer um, he's thank God he's okay this is 15 years ago and he he before he started getting his treatments they tell you to cure a semen sample in case um, so he, he's stored in the medical center, and he tells, he tells me every time he tries by, he waves. You know, tries by the building <laughs> <out of his, laughs> twice. You know, um, so he's been doing that for ten years now. It's still in the freezer somewhere in the lab there. Okay, so so um, but the point being is that uh, so since the tissue, this the semen sample in this case, will continue quote unquote to stay alive, if, if for sure if they use it. Mm-hmm. So therefore, maybe that's not considered benefit from the dead, that's not called, considered um, uh, um, delaying the burial, because it doesn't need to be buried. Normally, we bury all organs of a, of a deceased person. We try to bury everything. Again, to save a life, you can donate them, but in this case, technically, it's not saving a life, but we're saying maybe this would be an allowance. So now, just to be is the very important fact, and this is what happened when I called this, I mentioned before, I called this rabbi in New York. He didn't know the answer, but he said he's going to call this major rabbi other major rabbi for me, discuss it with him, he's going to go meet with him. So what happened was, the rabbi's name was David Feinstein, his father was Moshe Feinstein, who was one of the biggest halachic decisors of this generation um, in halachic law, one of the biggest ethicists. So he's no longer alive, he died almost 20 years ago, but his son um, dealt, he thought maybe he'll be able to help us here. So what happened was he discussed it with him and Rabbi Feinstein himself has a response him where he says that In an autopsy, just removing tissue, anything that would be done, the same procedure would be done to a live person, that's not considered desecrating the dead body. So, meaning, you don't want to see my picture? Very nice picture. (laughs) (laughs) Rabbi, questions? Yeah
2: you put it, you think that everybody should be an organ donor or they have an obligation? So it is it? a
1: mitzvah, it's not obligatory at this, uh, a dead organ donor, yes. If you can save a life, you probably should do I'm it. If every, if a live organ donor is, is less obligatory. But yes, if you're able respect. to save a life. I'll tell you why. Because again, since once you're dead, you have no obligation to mitzvah. Sure. Okay, so technically we can't obligate you to give, once you're dead, we can't obligate you to donate the organs. It's only when you're alive you have a
2: mitzvah. It's clearly better if you, if could, you could save lives. hundred percent. You, you have an obligation to become an organ donor.
1: I didn't say they have an obligation. I said you're, al- it's, it's, uh, you're allowed to. It's a myth. People but, say Jews shouldn't donate their to others. That's a myth.
2: For earlier we, having yeah. an obligation. Yeah.
1: No, this well, there's this two mitzvahs. Uh, that's a good point. So there's a mitzvah that's a nice good deed, crossing a lady I mean, the street, crossing an old lady all the in the street. The right. When I was using it in the previous context, a mitzvah means he obligatory. He wanted to use it <laughs> <laughs> <The> mitzvah <laughs> means obligatory. I'm sorry. It one. is confusing. But now I'm saying is it's an it's I a clearly that. a good deed, it's a he nice thing that. to donate your organs in the halakhically proper way, because you can save people's lives, there's no question. But we, it's not obligatory, okay? To do that? Bad. Because you you're mean, dead. We can have but you're dead. We can't obligate you no, to do something I once you're dead. Your yeah, but once you're dead, we can't obligate you to do it. I understand, but while you're alive, you can obligate you again, to, uh, election to take you could, the Again,
2: you could, you could, but again, it's not a, it's not
1: obligatory Why not? because, because then you you're going to be dead when, when, you're, when you're giving you give it. So it's a catch twenty-two. Catch twenty-two. So let me explain because we're running out of time here. We're over time. Moshe Feinstein says like this, he has a response written about autopsies. He says that any procedure that would be done to a live person you could do it to a dead person that's not desecrating the dead so if I'm going to cut open if you've ever seen an autopsy gone to medical school as we know they literally they, they cut the person they saw the person's head open take the brain out they cut his body so that's not you can't do that to live people but a procedure very important Marshall, this: a procedure done to a live person such as removing tissue aspiration with a needle Aspirating someone, let's shh, guys, yeah. guys, let yes. Aspirating someone with a needle, just removing tissue or blood, is would be able, the same thing would be allowed to be done to a deceased person, because that's not desecrating the body. That's done to live people too. Okay, so any procedure done to a live person is not considered desecration. So the question was how it would apply here. So when we called Rabbi Feinstein's son, his name is David Feinstein, he said like this. He said, "Tell me how they are going to procure the sample." If they're just going to use a needle, as, as Ed said in the testicles, and they're just procuring like that, then technically mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. If they're going to have to cut them open to remove the sample, he said then then it's it's prohibited because that is not done. That procedure is not normally done. Okay. So in this case I called back, that's when I called the Baylor people and they said no, aspirate, it's just done with the needle, it's not done. By surgery, by cut, by by postmortem cutting,
0: open biopsies. So who biopsies? gave the
1: okay? So he said. So what he told me was, he says, if it's going, they're going to cut him open. You shouldn't be involved, and you should try to talk to parents <coughs> out of doing. He said, if they're just going to take a needle, you know, it's, he says personally, I never heard of such a thing. he wouldn't right. be involved, but he said you don't have to talk them out of. You can let them do it, and that's really what happened.
2: Were the one who gave the, the okay?
1: In a certain sense, I don't want to be sued here now. he told me there's legal issues. Well, he didn't I don't want to say no. Um, right, so that's what I told them. No. Now, interestingly
4: enough, interestingly <laughs> enough, so let me just
1: finish off. And the following week, I spoke to this big rabbi slash ethicist in Israel, Dr. Steinberg, and he sent me a whole piece that he had written on it. He showed me some others. So basically, the conclusion was in his case, and this was where I was wrong. I didn't find out till after it was said and done. So couldn't go back and put back the sample. But uh, he said basically they would allow it in Israel, um, the ruling of the rabbis in Israel was if the person was married and he consented prior to death um, that he wants his semen to be used after death. So in that case they they actually allow it and encourage it um, in that case. But if in case where he was married and his spouse wants to do it, wants to become impregnated and he did He consented prior to that, but in the case of a single person, where he never consented, where or a person never consented, in that case they wouldn't allow. Okay so and then i so i really so, gave the okay wrongly in this case
4: so so let's say you had, you, you had to make a decision quickly i did you that's did. what happened you made the decision to preserve the specimen it was married later, so did it. later after contemplation and discussion it's determined that that was inappropriate so right. does that sample then have to be there? Um, question. Um, so the
1: issue with that barrel they're just saying that you no know, meaning if he consented and he He wanted it to happen, then we encourage perpetuating the marriage. marriage. (laughs) It's based on the concept (laughs) of (laughs) of Yibum. It's based on the concept of this concept of Levare marriage, which is you see the Torah wants us to perpetuate the memory of the deceased person who never had children. So based on that same concept, they're saying, right, they're saying if the guy wanted to do it, and we see the concept is a valid concept in the the Bible itself, in the Torah. The Torah perpetuates, wants us to perpetuate the memory of the deceased person. Therefore, we're going to allow it here. But if the person died and he never expressed this wish and he's single, in that case, we're not going to encourage it. Again, does that mean, and it's a very good question you're asking, which is it's done already in this case. And by the way, the Balaam people <laughs> told me when they took out the sample, they said, we're going to do it. We don't know legally if we're going to be able to send the tissue to mm-hmm. Israel. That's a whole different Did legal, because there's, there's legal laws about um, sending tissue overseas and stuff Holy like that—that's a whole different question, which I have nothing—I don't know anything about. So I'm not even going to comment. I don't know what happened at the end. No. No. Um, I do believe that they legally, or maybe they just smuggled it out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> In there carry on less than the That's amount of liquid you can take out. I don't know. Your TSA, I could imagine you know, at the border, <laughs> so TSA. It took less than three uh, ounces. I, I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know what happened. Like and adi- you know, practically, um, thank God. I, I, I never spoke to the parents and trying to, so I don't know actually. In actuality, I know they did take a sample, I know it was in the freezer somewhere in the medical center. Don't know what happened subsequently. Um, so now that we do that have a happy afternoon
4: if anyone has
1: any questions do not speak to me speak to your local rabbi about this (laughs) Um.
0: you have been listening to the mp3 project from the Jewish Ethic Institute for a complete selection of our lectures please visit our website at J dash ethics Shalom